You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. I mean, when's the last couple of weeks? Monty's been giving me the real job because he's been uh, directing the choir without notes, and I have to use notes to preach. But I noticed this morning that uh, if I'd known he was going to do that, I would have stolen his music book here on the front front row. If I'd realized that he was planning on using no- notes this morning. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Luke, the sixth chapter. Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six, and we're going to read only one verse, and that's verse thirty-eight. Luke chapter 6, 38. I want to preach to you this morning on how to receive from God. How to receive from God. Jesus is speaking in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. He says, Give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. When my wife and I first moved to Fort Worth from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, we made a a joyful discovery when we opened our bank account. Not that we had more money than we thought we did, because that never is the case, but we discovered the automatic tellers. You know what those characters are, those creatures are? Our bank is way downtown, and I have been to that bank one time since we opened our account, and all of the rest of my transactions have been done from the Doughboy. Now, that's a real good name for that thing, because uh, they make it so convenient for you that you can always uh, get your money. But And those things are really neat, but the problem with them is that they are so convenient, you have a tendency to want to spend more than you actually have, and periodically we'll go by and punch in the old number and punch out everything that you're supposed to do to find out just how much money we've got left in old Doughboy in in the bank, and it's always kind of discouraging because it never is quite what we think it ought to be or quite what we wish it might be or what we think that it should be. Every Christian, though, every Christian has at least two accounts. Every Christian has at least two accounts. You have an earthly account, an earthly bank account, if you will, but you also, God's Word says, have a a heavenly account. Now, this earthly account is is sometimes somewhat discouraging to go over because, as I said, uh, quite often it's not what we think it ought to be or what we wish that it might be, but it's thrilling to go through your heavenly bank account. Do you know where your heavenly bank account is? Where it is recorded? Where the balance sheet is? The balance sheet is in the Word of God. This actually is your heavenly banking account. When was the last time that you just kind of walked through your heavenly bank statement and thought about all of the things that God has said are deposited in your heavenly account as a child of God? It's a thrilling experience when you come to it sometime and just take a few moments and, and walk through it and go through some of the things that God's Word, your, your heavenly bank statement, if you want to put it in that kind of terms, that God's Word says are already yours because you are a child of God. Now, your statement and my statement are exactly the same. 
you probably know some people that you wish your earthly bank statement was the same as theirs, don't you? And you probably know some others that you're glad it's not. But all of us in Jesus Christ, every single one of us, our heavenly bank statement reads exactly the same. I want us to take just a moment and look through our heavenly bank statement for just a second and see some of the things that God says have already been deposited in our accounts. Now, you might want to just jot these verses of Scripture down and come back a little bit later and peruse through them because I'm going to go through them very quickly. But let's think about this for just a moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 30, 32. Listen to what your, your heavenly bank statement says. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Now, is, in that, is that in your account? It's in mine. Mine says that. How will he not also with him give us freely all things? Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3, listen to what Paul says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, that's in the past tense, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, did you hear that? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's past tense. That has already, in other words, been deposited in my spiritual bank account. Second Peter chapter 1. The Apostle Peter gets to talking about the things that we have in Christ Jesus, and he says of God, he says, He gives us all things pertaining to life. He gives us all things pertaining to life. Not some things, not a few things, but gives us all things pertaining to life. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 5, the writer of the Hebrews makes a statement that says, The Christian person is someone who experiences all of the powers of the world to come. Now, when does he experience all of the powers of the world to come? Right here and right now. We in Jesus Christ are to experience all of the powers, the God's Word says, of the world to come. Paul in Romans chapter 8 says that we are heirs of God says that we are heirs of God and that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In other words, one translation puts it this way. One modern translation says that we share all that Jesus has. We share in everything that Jesus has. We are heirs of God and we are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. Now, when do you receive an inheritance? When do you receive an inheritance? Well, it's when the one... Uh, who makes the will, one who is giving the inheritance, dies, isn't it? That's when you receive your inheritance. So some of you are going to receive inheritances from your grandparents, uh, from your parents, from maybe a, another relative, that you are in that will and you are going to receive an inheritance from that individual when that particular person dies. So you receive the inheritance when someone dies. Now, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 through 17, and I want you to come back maybe later and, and look through this and read these verses of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 9, though, talks about that when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, we at that moment received everything that we were to have in Christ. When Jesus died, who was the one that was making the will, when he died, then that inheritance was brought into effect. That will was brought into effect, not in the future somewhere, but right here and now. When the testator, if you want to use legal terminology, dies, then those who are the inheritors receive that inheritance at that exact time, at that exact moment. And so when the Lord Jesus died, then you and I, who are joint heirs with Jesus, who are heirs of God, God's word says at that time, then we received all that God has to give, 
as joint heirs with Jesus, we share everything that God has to give. So that just says that God at that time deposited in our heavenly accounts, if you will, all that we need to live life. All that we need to live life. Now, if that is so, if that is so, why is there such a dichotomy? Why is there such a difference between what is ours in Christ and what we actually experience in daily life? Why is there a difference in what Paul says when he says we are more than overcomers? Why is there a difference in what God's word has already stated is so and what you and I actually experience in our lives? If he has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, then why is that not worked out in my day-by-day experience? Where is the difference and why is the difference? Well, it's not a problem with what's on deposit. It's a problem with understanding how to make withdrawals. You see, you can have a million dollars in the bank, and if you don't know how to write out a check, if you don't know how to make a withdrawal, then that million dollars doesn't do you one bit of good. You've got to understand how to make a withdrawal. And the Scripture says that we already possess everything that is God's, everything that God intends to give us. It's not a problem with the deposit. It's a problem with the ability and understanding the spiritual principles about how, how to receive what God has already promised is ours. It is a problem with learning how to appropriate it. So... Quite frankly, most Christians never receive what is available to them in Christ because they've not understood what God's Word says about how to appropriate what God has already deposited in our accounts. Now, I'm going to do something this morning that I don't like to do. Most of you who know me very well, know me very closely, know that I don't preach about this subject very often, maybe once or twice in almost two years that I've been here, and I don't like to. I don't like to have to. But I'm going to do something this morning because I think it's necessary. I'm going to approach this spiritual truth from the area of finances. It does not apply only to finances. That is only one of the areas in the Christian life that the principles that I'm going to give you this morning apply to. But as one person said, it's usually the pocketbook that is the last part of a man's life that God gives. And it seems to be, for some reason, the most difficult area for us to yield over to the Lord completely. And so this morning, I want to deal with the area of finances. But I want you to understand something. That God has deposited in your heavenly account much, much more than just the finances that you need to live this life and to accomplish His work. But He has deposited in your heavenly account everything you need to live this life. And the principles that I'm going to share with you this morning about how to receive from God what God has for you to receive goes far and beyond the area of the financial realm and goes into every realm of life. It goes into the area of prayer. It goes into the area of sacrifice. It goes into the area of service. It deals with every single area of the Christian walk and it is not confined only to the area of finances but I want to deal with that this morning because some of us seem to have a little bit more difficulty grasping it in that particular area and I believe it's probably true if God really gets hold of a man's pocketbook if God really gets hold of a man's finances then he probably already has every other area of his life because that seems to be the one that we hold on to the most and we want to operate on the basis of our way of thinking and the world's way of thinking and not do it according to God's. And so this morning, as we're thinking about what God has already deposited in our heavenly account and how to receive from God, I want you to understand that if you're ever going to learn how to receive from God, then you must first of all begin to change your way of thinking 
there are some things that you and I need to re realize from God's Word about how we are ever going to receive what God the Father has already deposited in our accounts. I want to say, first of all, and we're going to deal strictly with, with Luke chapter 6, verse 38, and a few passages from the Old and New Testament this morning. But I want to say to you, first of all, that if you're going to ever receive from God, you must, first of all, understand that God's approach is opposite of this world. God's approach to receiving is opposite of the approach of this world. Now, what I mean by that is that if you are going to receive what God has already deposited in your account, you're going to have to do something that's pretty difficult for a lot of us. You're going to have to do something that's kind of difficult for many of us. You're going to have to stop thinking like a human being. Now, now, for some of us, that may not be near as difficult as, as, as I just stated it would be. But for others of us, it is going to be very difficult to stop thinking as a human being. In other words, you are going to have to discard man's way of seeing things and realize that God's approach, God's attitude is always opposite the world. As a matter of fact, and I can't think of one area in, in the Christian life, I can't think of one area in spiritual truth where if you'll not apply this principle, you'll almost hit it in the bullseye every time. You take the way that the world sees something, whether it's finances or whether it's family life or whether it's education or whatever it might be, you take the approach that the world takes to that particular area, you turn around and go exactly opposite of that, Take a 180 degree turn and go exactly the opposite direction and you will have discovered God's way. Take how the world sees it and how the world would do it. Turn around and go exactly opposite of that and you will have discovered God's way of doing it. You and I must realize that God's approach is opposite of this world. Quite frankly, the reason that most of us don't receive from God all that God desires for us to receive and all that God has, has already deposited is because we approach spiritual truth and we approach spiritual things the way that the world sees it and we approach it from the philosophy of man. God's way always looks like a paradox in the eyes of the world. And if we approach it from the world's way, then it is not going to be God's way because God's way almost all the time, and I can't think of any area that it's not, is diametrically opposed to the way that the world views things and the way that the world thinks of things. Let me give you a few illustrations from Scripture about that. You remember what Jesus said about keeping your life? He said, if any man would keep his life, he must lose it. Now, that's a paradox. Now, our world says, you may, if you want to keep your life, then hold on to everything that you've got. Jesus said, if you would keep your life, then you must lose it. Jesus said, if you hold on to this life, then you will, in fact, lose it. So you must, if you're going to keep your life, if you're going to have eternal life, real life, then Jesus says, give it up, give it away. Man looks at that and he says, I don't understand that. That's a paradox. That does not go away according to the way that man thinks. Jesus said, if you want to be comforted, what do you, must you do? Mourn. Mourn over sin. If you want to be comforted, then mourn over sin. Jesus went on and said, you want to be free, then become God's slave. A paradox. You want to be free, then become God's slave. Man says you want to be free, then do it your way. Don't let anybody put binds on you. Don't, don't follow God. Don't follow man. Don't follow anybody. Just do it the way that your natural intu intuition tells you to do it. And Jesus says, if you do it that way, you're going to become the slave. If you want to really become free, he says, then become a slave of God. And we could go on and on and on and on illustrating how God's approach, God's way is always opposite 
of man's. Now we come to verse 38 in Luke chapter 6. And Jesus says, Give, and it shall be given to you. Give, and it shall be given to you. Now immediately the human mind, those of us who think like human beings, the human mind comes back and says, That's not right. The human mind says that can't be right. That does not fit together. Because you see, man says, receive, and then if you want to, you'll be able to give. Man says, gather in, and then if you want to give, then you've got something to give. That's man's way. God says, give first, and then receive. And the word give in the original language is in a present continuous tense, which means let it be a habit of your life. Let it become a developed habit of your life. Give and keep on giving. Develop a habit in life of giving, of being generous, of being free with what you have. And then God's word says, then you will receive. Man says, that's not right. That's not right. Man says, if you want to be able to give, then you first of all have to collect. <laughs> you have to first of all gather in and fill your barns and all that stuff, and then you can give. And God says, no, that's not it. Give first, and then you'll be able to receive. Man says, give according to what you have already received. Give according to what you can see, what is on the spreadsheet, what's on the balance sheet, what's in the barn, what's in the bank. Give according to that, and God says, no, that's man's way. That's not my way. Give first. Give first, God says. Let it be a habit of life, of giving, and then you'll receive. I hear people say periodically, and I probably hear this more than, than you could imagine. I hear people say something like this fairly often. I'll be glad when one of these days I make enough to be able to give. So if you've heard that also. They say, I'll, I'll be glad when I get out of this financial condition that I'm in and I'm making enough money or whatever, I'm in a, such a position where I'll be able to give. And every time that I hear that, something kind of just turns over inside of me because I realize, based upon what God's Word says, that that is exactly opposite of what God's Word says. That is thinking the way man thinks. That is thinking the way the world thinks. And if you are thinking that way, you have missed it. You have missed it. You have gone right by it. God says, don't wait until you receive to give. He says, give and then you will receive. Let giving be a habit of life. Be it, let it be a part of the character of your life. And then you will receive. Let's take a moment and look at a few scriptures about that. You might not want to take time to turn to this. If you don't, that's fine. Uh, I'm not going to. I have them... The scripture's printed down here for sake of time so we can cover a little more ground. But you might want to just jot these passages down. Understand this thing of receiving from God. You must first of all realize that God's way is opposite of man's. And as long as you operate according to man's plan, then you are operating opposite of God's plan. And God is not going to bless that. Receiving comes after giving, not before in God's plan of economy and in God's scheme of things. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Notice what he says. Cast your bread upon the waters, and in not many days, hence, it will come back unto you. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, and in not many days, then it will come back upon you. Now, if you never cast any bread, then there's not ever going to be any that can come back is really what the statement says. If you never cast any bread, then, then it can never come back to you. You see, a lot of God's people need to tune in to NBC. 
And that's not the National Broadcasters Corporation. That's the National Breadcasters Corporation. A lot of God's people need to start casting some bread because, you see, you can't have bread coming back until you begin casting some bread out, and that's God's way. He says, give first, and then you'll be able to receive. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 is a verse that we all love, that we all love to quote, and we all usually quote it completely out of context. We all usually completely miss the meaning of Philippians chapter 4, 19. It's one of those little things that we put in our Christian grab bag that whenever we need a quick answer, a quick uplift, or a quick emotional boost, then we pull out Philippians 4, 19 and apply it, and we miss the whole meaning of that verse of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4, 19 says, My God shall supply all of your needs through His riches in Christ Jesus. And we love to quote that. But we miss the context, and we miss the whole meaning of that verse of Scripture. You see, that verse of Scripture is quoted by Paul, is spoken by Paul to the Philippians. And if you'll read the context in which that verse is quoted, the verses before and the verses afterward, you'll understand that Paul is speaking to these Philippians about their generosity in giving to God's work. He is speaking to them about their generosity in giving to his work as a Christian missionary and supporting the work of God. And he said to them, they have given very generously to support Paul as he was preaching the gospel in these various places. And now Paul comes back and at the very end of chapter 4 of Philippians, he begins to commend them for their faithfulness. He commends them for the fact that they had given faithfully. They had given first before they received and that they had supported Paul and, and others probably in the work of the ministry there. And Paul comes back and after he, after he commends them for giving, he says, and then my God shall supply all of your need through his riches in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul say God is going to supply the needs of the Philippians? Because they had given first. That's why. They had given first and Paul commends them for that and then gives them the promise of God that God is going to supply all of their needs. Give and then you'll receive. The world says, receive and then give. God says, no, that's opposite. That's wrong. I'll not bless that. In 1 Kings chapter 17, one of the great stories in the Old Testament comes out of the life of Elijah the prophet. Elijah was in a, an area there where a great famine had come upon the land. And God came to Elijah and said, Elijah, I'm going to take care of you. And this is the way I'm going to do it. I want you to go to a certain place. And when you get to that certain place, Elijah, you're going to find a widow woman there who has a son. And she's going to take care of you. And so Elijah does as God tells him, and he goes to that place. And when he gets there, the Scripture says that he finds this widow woman, and she's out collecting some sticks. She's going to build a fire is what she's going to do. And Elijah says, um, ma'am, I guess he maybe said ma'am. Elijah said, lady, woman, widow, whatever. I don't know what he said. But Elijah said, would you bring me some water? Not a glass of water, but uh, probably a, a ladle of water. Would you bring me some water to drink? And she immediately responds in the positive that she will. And so she turns around and is just about to go off and, and fetch the water for him and bring it back to him. And he said, and oh, by the way, when you come back, also bring me a little cake of bread. I'm hungry. And she turned around to him, probably with a very incredulous look on her face. And she says, Mr., what do you think I am? <laughs> Rainbow Bakery? I mean, I don't have any bread. All I've got, as a matter of fact, is a little bitty barrel that has a little bit of grain in it, just a little bit, and I have this little bitty container that has just a few drops of oil in it. That's all that I've got to my name, and I've got to feed my son and I, and that's why I'm out here gathering these sticks. We're going to build a fire, and I'm going to prepare for my son and I a small little meal, and then we're going to starve to death. 
because that's all we're going to have, and we're not going to have any more. And so we're going to eat our last meal here, and it's going to be made out of these little few uh, grains and this little bit of oil, and then after that, it's going to be all gone. And Elijah responds back to this woman. He says, go ahead and do as you were going to do to prepare for you and your son. But he said, first, and there's the key, he said, first, make a cake of bread for me and then prepare for you and your son. And the scripture says that that widow did exactly what, what Elijah had, had, had told her to do. And then God's word makes an awesome statement. It says that from though that little bit of grain and from that little bit of oil, that she and her son and Elijah and her entire household ate for a many, great many days. Now, I don't know how much a household can eat, but uh, some of your households can eat a whole bunch. And it's a lot more than just a few little pieces of grain and a little bit of oil that's in a container. What did God do? She gave first, and so she was able to receive. She gave according to God's command, and God promised her that she would receive. And her and her whole household, her son and Elijah and everybody involved, just had all they had needed to eat. God just multiplied everything that she had. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Now, you, want to, you need to understand that if you're going to receive from God what God has already deposited in your account, you must realize, first of all, that God's approach is opposite the approach of the world. Man says receive so that you can give. God says give and then you will receive. And inevitably, someone comes back and says, well, you know, James, I don't give. I don't, I'm not a generous person. I don't give to the Lord's work. I don't, I don't give in the way that God's word, that I know God's word says that I ought to, but I have plenty. I got a bunch, man, my business is doing well or my job pays me real well and my family and I, we've got everything we, we want and, and I don't give, but I've still got plenty. What do you say about that? <laughs> this is what I say about that, that every single thing that you have on the face of this earth has only the security that the world can give. If, if you have not received it from God based upon the spiritual principle of learning how to be habitually a, a God-inspired giver, then everything that you have accumulated on this earth is subject to the world. It is subject to the economy. It is subject to what man can do with it, and it does not have the security of God. But the man who has received from God because God has given it into his lap according to good, sound, biblical, spiritual principles of giving, then that man has the stamp of the sovereignty of God upon everything that he's got. Did you hear that? That man has the stamp of a sovereign God that is true to his word, that has said, if you'll give, then you'll receive. And I'll not only give it to you, but I'll secure it for you. That, that the world, that no man can take it away. Now, I'd much rather have God's security than man's, wouldn't you? Many of us are not real sure because we're not real sure that God's able, quite frankly. We're still looking at it from man's viewpoint and saying, but if I receive, then later I'll be able to give a whole lot. And God says, no, forget it. God says, give first and then you shall receive. So if we're going to receive from God, we must first of all understand that God's approach is opposite of the world. Second of all, I want you to understand that God's abundance is, not, is out of this world. God's approach is 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 opposite of this world, but God's abundance is out of this world. Now notice what Jesus goes on and says in verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. And notice how he says it'll be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they shall pour into your lap. Did you hear that? 
That's how God is promising to give to the one who understands biblical principles of stewardship. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And the picture that Jesus is painting is one that they would have been very familiar with in that kind of agricultural type of society. The picture is, is of someone going to the market and the merchant taking that basket that he's going to pour that grain into and filling it up with grain and then getting in there with both feet and stomping it down and packing it down as much as he could and then shaking it a little bit to loosen it up and then packing it down again. And then finally, after he's gotten everything that he can get, every last bit of grain in it, then he just pours on the top of it. And as he hands it over to that guy, it's pouring over the tops of that basket. That's how God has promised to give to those who make giving, generosity, an habitual part of life. To give according to man's way and not according to God, uh, to give according to God's way and not according to man's way. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now that's the abundance of God giving to the one who has learned giving as an habitual part of life. What God has and is able to give is far and beyond everything that you and I have ever understood. It is far beyond anything that you and I up to this point have ever even begun to fathom. God's approach is opposite of this world, but God's abundance is out of this world. Notice in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Listen to what Solomon says. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all of your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, folks, that's either a promise of God or it's not a promise of God. That's either a promise of God's inspired, infallible word or it is not a promise of God's infallible word. Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first fruits of all of your increase. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your increase. In other words, not with the leftovers. Not after you've done like my little three-year-old likes to do with her bread. You've eaten out the center, the good part, and then she'll throw the rest away. That's what a lot of us do with God. We eat out the best part. We get our share out first, and then we say, God, if there's anything left over, then it's yours. Wrong. That's the idea of receiving and then giving. God says, give and then you will receive. Not the leftovers. He says, give, honor God out of your wealth and with the first fruits, and I'll see to it that your barns are full. And then you begin to tap into God's abundance. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Listen to this. There is one who scatters yet increases all the more. Now, that's a paradox, isn't it, from man's way of thinking? He says, there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. The more he scatters, the more he increases, is what Solomon says. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Now, Paul is just reiterating what Jesus has said here in verse 38. At the very end, he says, for by your standard of measure, therefore you, it will be measured to you in return. If you have a little bit of cup, a little bitty cup, 
uh, that you measure out with, then that's how God's going to measure back to you. You measure with a great big bowl, then that's how God is going to measure back to you. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Where is that cricket? He's gone, isn't he? I scared him to death. I did not squash him, by the way. Okay? You'll be glad to know that, you little ones. I did not squash the cricket. Tippy loves crickets, but she cannot stand to touch them. <laughs> she just loves to follow them all over the house. All right, come back with me for just a minute. You little devil. Come back with me just a minute. Let me see if I can get myself collected and if you can get yourselves collected again. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You know, <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen. I didn't even realize it was, it was happening until I looked over at Scott Carlson. He had this great big grin on his face, and he was wondering how I was going to react to the cricket. I react to the cricket the same way that I react to some of you going, <laughs> most of the time it just goes right off my head, but sometimes it just blows me away. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So sparingly, reap sparingly. So bountifully, reap bountifully. God's abundance, in other words, folks, God's abundance to us that he has deposited into our heavenly account and that we are able to receive is limited only by this, our willingness to trust him and be true to his word. Did you hear that? His abundance to us is limited only by this, our willingness to trust him and to be true to the word of God. He wants to give it. He wants to make available to us what he has already deposited in our accounts, but we must stop thinking like the world. We are so infected by the world's way of thinking that we come into spiritual things and then we bring that way of thinking into God's work. And that's why, quite frankly, quite often God's people are hamstringed because they look at spiritual things the way that the world would look at them. And the world says, gather in, get all that you've got. When you, you've got all that you want, if you want to give some, then give it. And God says, no. Give first. Don't give out of what you see. And then based upon my promise, I will allow you to receive. And the more you give, the more I'll allow you to receive. Not because God wants you to be fat and sassy and filthy rich, folks. And don't let any radio preacher ever feed you that line of garbage. That is not why. That is not why. God is no more interested in his people being fat and wealthy than anything in the world. God is interested in blessing his people with what he has deposited in his account in order that the work of the kingdom might be accomplished. And that's the only reason. And that's the only reason. That's the only reason. I'm not preaching, get, let's all get rich today. Let's give $10 today and then God's going to make us rich. No, probably most of us has got, have got all that God can trust us with right now. You've probably got all that God can trust you with right now. And as you learn to give, then God can trust you with more in order that you'll be able to give more and God can trust you with more. But he'll only trust you with the amount that you're going to be faithful with. God's approach is opposite of this world. God's abundance is out of this world. And then we'll close with this. God's accomplishment comes through this world. This was exciting to me when I saw this. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my own life. But I've seen it as a pastor working with, with people and seeing how God has blessed their lives in particular areas and particular ways when they got faithful to God's command and to God's word. God's accomplishment, folks, comes through this world. Notice what he says, Give and it shall be given to you. Press down, good measure, shaken together, running over. They will pour into 
your lap. He says they will pour into your lap. How does God accomplish this, in other words? How does he accomplish this blessing of his people with the things that are already deposited in their accounts? Through they. <laughs> Through they. Do you know who they are? Do you have any idea who they are? The world. That's how. God accomplishes this thing of blessing his people to accomplish his work through the world. Man operates according to this principle. Receive and then give. God says, no, give, and then I'll allow you to receive. And the way that I'm going to allow you to receive is I'm going to cause the world to come and just dump it in your lap. And he says, God doesn't say, I will pour into your lap, does he? Ultimately, the source is going to be him. But he says, they will pour into your lap. They, those around you, the world around you, God accomplishes this purpose through the world. Now, if you're going to understand that, you need to realize that God owns everything. We kind of say that flippantly. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he created it. He owns it, doesn't he? I mean, he owns the cattle of a thousand hills, doesn't he? <laughs> he owns the hills. You ever heard that one? That, that is so true, but oftentimes we say it so flippantly that it really loses its meaning. God owns everything. Everything is in his hands. He is the creator and the sustainer of everything. He has his stamp of ownership upon every single thing in the created universe. When the lost man has it in his possession, it has been taken out of circulation. When the lost man has the things that belong to God through creation, when he possesses them, and you know lots of lost people that have a lot of possessions, when the lost man has those things in his possession, then those things have been taken out of circulation. But God's plan and God's purpose is to put everything back into circulation to accomplish his work. Not to make you filthy rich, no, but to accomplish his work. When the lost man has it in his hands, it has been taken out of circulation. It is of no use to the work of God. But God wishes to bless his people to allow the world to begin to pour their possessions into your very laps, not so that you and I can get filthy rich, but that, so that we would have no boundaries upon us for accomplishing the work of God. It's all his, and he is just waiting for us to trust him and to let him appropriate it and allow him to pour it, to allow them to pour it into our, into our laps. God blesses you, you give. God blesses you, you give more. God blesses you more, you give more. And God is just bringing everything that he owns back into circulation for the purpose of accomplishing his work. Let me give you an Old Testament illustration that's real fresh on my mind because we've just been talking about this on Wednesday nights for the last few weeks. In the Old Testament, God came to Abraham to tell Abraham that he was going to bless Abraham and he was going to make a great people out of Abraham's descendants. And he was going to bless the world through them. Ultimately, that was the Israelites out of which Jesus, the Savior, came. But he says that those descendants are going to be enslaved for about 400 years in Egypt. But then he says, I'm going to deliver them. And when I deliver them, then I am going to allow them to come out of Egypt with just all kinds of wealth and all kinds of riches. These people that have been enslaved for 400 years are going to come out of Egypt wealthy with all of the things that Egypt had to offer. God promised Abraham that. Later, he called Moses 
to be the one that would lead those Hebrews, those Israelites, out of that Egyptian bondage, and he renewed that promise to Moses. He told Moses what he had told Abraham, that when these people leave, they're not going to go empty-handed, but I am going to give them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, and they are going to give them great possessions. And he said all that they have to do is just go to their next-door neighbor and ask them for gold and silver and all these things, and I will give them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will give them all of these things. You know what happened? When God got ready to deliver his people out of bondage, Moses told them to do what God had said. They did it. These Hebrew people who had been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt and whose God had been the source of the 10 plagues that had fallen upon the Egyptians, man, those Egyptians had every reason in the world to hate Israelites. They had every reason in the world to hate these Hebrews. And now God says, now what I want you to do, guys, I want you to go next door to that Egyptian neighbor and say, give me all your gold and all your silver. And God said, I'm going to give you a favor in their eyes and they're going to do it. And that's exactly what they did. They just said, yeah, come on in. Whatever I got is yours. Take it. It's all yours. And the people of God marched out of slavery after 400 years with gold and silver and all of the things that they would need as they entered into that land of promise that God had promised them, the land of Canaan. God said, I'm going to do it. And God did it. It's no different today, folks. God just takes what belongs to the Egyptians God just takes what belongs to the world and when God's people are faithful, when God's people are obedient, then he gives them favor in the sight of the world and God just causes them to pour their wealth and their riches into the lap of his people. It's not a question of what's on deposit. It's a question of our ability and willingness to trust God and to receive from God according to his way of thinking and not according to the world's way of thinking. You and I must understand that God's approach is opposite of the world. The world says receive so you can give. God says no, give first then you'll receive. God's accomplishment comes through this world. He says they will pour into your lap. Men, you who are businessmen, you know what God is able to do? Once again, not just so you can get filthy rich, not at all. You know what God is able to do though? You begin to practice good, sound, biblical principles of Christian stewardship out of a generous heart of giving to the Lord to say, God, I'm just going to be faithful to you. I'm going to give to your work first and I'm going to trust you that I receive. You know what God's able to do? God's able to take that business that another man, a competitor across the way that's a lost man has and just take it right out of there and pour it right in your lap. I'll guarantee it. That's what God's Word says. They, he says, will pour into your lap. They will pour into your lap. Because you see, it's all God's anyway, and he is just waiting for his people to be faithful and trust him and, and count upon his word so that he can take it out of where it's not in circulation and put it back in circulation through his people. You see, when you view it from that perspective, there's nothing too big for God's people, is there? There's some people of God that are not big enough for the task, but there's nothing too big for the people when they're willing to trust God. When God's people are willing to trust him and operate according to his word and not according to man's. I'm going to close with this. A couple of stories. Dr. Criswell, pastor of First Baptist Church in, is that Dallas? Yeah, in Dallas. Last year I heard him tell a story at the evangelism conference that some of you also heard. I want to, tell, I want to share it with you this morning because it illustrates what, I'm about to, what I've just said to you. Last year, Dr. Criswell told this story at the evangelism conference and he said one of our chapels that we had planted... And they plant little mission churches all over Dallas County. He said one of them was a Mexican-American mission in the west side of Dallas. One day, a couple of the men from that mission came to me and said, Pastor, we've grown. God has blessed us. We need to buy some property, and we need to put some buildings on that property. We want you to give us a million dollars to do it with. 
And Dr. Crystal said, I was so impressed by their just childlike faith that they just believed I had a million dollars in my desk drawer that I could just pull out and hand it to them. And he said, if I had had it, I'd have given it to them. He said, but somehow God just communicated to my heart that First Baptist Church of Dallas needed to do that. Just needed to do that. We needed to do that. And so he, he said, I told the men to, to go on and I'd get back with them as soon as I could. He said, I called in a couple of our men who were big, high-rolling land developers in the North Dallas and that high-dollar property in, in North Dallas, a couple of committed Christian men, good stewards of what God had given them. And he said, men, our mission in West Dallas needs a million dollars. I want us to give it to them. What I want you to do, I want you to go out in North Dallas and I want you to turn some land deals. And within six to eight months, I want you to bring me a million dollars so we can give it to them. Dr. Crystal said they kind of looked at, at me and then they looked at each other and they looked back at me and said, okay, pastor, we'll do it. The very week that he spoke at the evangelism conference, Dr. Crystal said this week, this was on a Wednesday night, as a matter of fact, when I heard him say this, he said Monday morning, those two men walked into my office and they put a check on my desk for a million dollars and they kept a million and split it between them. What's God doing? Just blessing the faithfulness of his people, just taking out of the world and just pouring it right into the lap of his people because they were willing to trust him, willing to be obedient to him.